Hello, and welcome to the Chess Journal's Editor Highlights Podcast. Each month, Chess Editor-in-Chief Dr. Peter Mazzone highlights key articles from the current issue of the journal to help clinicians stay informed about new research in the fields of pulmonary, critical care, and sleep medicine. To introduce this month's episode, here is Dr. Peter Mazzone. Thank you for tuning in to the Editor's Highlight Podcast for the August 2022 issue of the journal Chest. There's a great lineup of diverse content in this month's issue. Over the next 15 minutes, I'll provide a brief overview of key manuscripts published in each of our content areas, starting with our asthma content area. Prostaglandin D2 receptor 2 antagonists inhibit the recruitment and activation of cells driving asthma pathogenesis. Identifying target populations and endpoints for this potential therapy have been challenging. In this issue, Moss and colleagues described the findings of a phase 2b randomized double-blind placebo-controlled dose-ranging parallel group multicenter study designed to determine the effect of GB001, the DP2 antagonist, on asthma worsening in patients with moderate to severe eosinophilic asthma with a blood eosinophil count greater than 250 cells per microliter. 480 patients received treatment. The odds ratios for asthma worsening at doses of 20, 40, and 60 milligrams were 0.674, 0.677, and 0.651, which did not achieve statistical significance. There was no correlation of outcomes with baseline blood eosinophil level or fractional exhaled nitric oxide level. Adverse events leading to discontinuation were more frequent with the 60 milligram dose. These results suggest the potential for reductions in worsening of asthma with the use of GB001 with an acceptable safety profile, but must be interpreted cautiously as statistical significance was not achieved. Next is our chest infections content area. Little is known about subclinical pulmonary tuberculosis in high-income countries. In this issue, Lau and colleagues used data from a 16-year retrospective cohort of patients with pulmonary TB to determine the prevalence of subclinical pulmonary TB in Canada, its radiography features, time to culture positivity, and the association between DNA fingerprint clustering and clinical features in the foreign-born. Of 1,656 patients with pulmonary TB, 347, 21%, were subclinical. Patients with subclinical disease were more likely to be foreign-born, have negative smear results, and have longer time to culture positivity. Parenchymal disease was absent or minimal in 86% of patients. DNA fingerprint clustering was associated with male sex and a longer time between arrival and diagnosis. These results suggest subclinical pulmonary TB represents a substantial minority of patients with TB in high-income countries and that there is some but limited local transmission. On to our COPD content area. 
Acute exacerbations of COPD are associated with morbidity, mortality, and frequent readmissions. The effectiveness of a transition bundle with a care coordinator on rehospitalization and emergency department revisits is not known. In this issue, Atwood and colleagues evaluated readmissions, length of stay, and emergency department revisits in 3,106 patients discharged from five hospitals who received usual care and 604 who received a transition bundle, including 320 who had an assigned care coordinator. Those who received the transition bundle were 83% less likely to be readmitted within seven days and 26% less likely within 30 days of discharge. Readmission by 90 days was unchanged. The transition bundle was also associated with a 7.3% increase in length of stay and 76% increase in 30-day emergency department revisit. The care coordinator did not influence outcomes. These results suggest a transition bundle for patients with acute exacerbations of COPD can decrease short-term hospital readmissions at the expense of increased length of stay in emergency department revisits. Next is our critical care content area. It is currently unclear if targeted temperature management attenuates the harmful effects on the brain of ischemia reperfusion injury after in-hospital cardiac arrest. In this issue, Blanc and colleagues report the results of a post hoc analysis of 159 patients in the targeted temperature management for cardiac arrest with non-shockable rhythm randomized control trial who had in-hospital cardiac arrest to determine if targeted temperature management at 33 degrees centigrade was associated with better neurological outcomes. Compared with targeted normal thermia, hypothermia was associated with a higher percentage of patients alive and with good neurological outcomes on day 90, 16.4% versus 5.8%. Day 90 mortality was not significantly different between the two groups. These findings suggest that targeted hypothermia at 33 degrees centigrade is associated with better 90-day neurological outcomes after in-hospital cardiac arrest and a non-shockable rhythm compared with targeted normal thermia. Also in this section is a single-center safety trial designed to determine the safety and tolerability of defibrotide in patients with severe SARS-CoV-2 infection, and a qualitative study assessing the influence of the COVID-19 pandemic on intensivist well-being. Completing this section is a How I Do It review describing a music therapy intervention to treat sedation-related delirium in the ICU. On to our diffuse lung disease content area. Early palliative care improves rates of advanced care planning and symptom management in patients with interstitial lung disease. In this issue, Gersten and colleagues report the results of a survey of providers at all of the Pulmonary Fibrosis Foundation care centers in the United States designed to assess the perspectives of palliative care and barriers to palliative care among ILD providers. Most of the 128 survey participants were physicians, 
most exhibited good knowledge of and felt comfortable assessing a patient's readiness for palliative care. Referral was more likely to occur at the time of objective disease progression. Those less likely to refer to palliative care cite a lack of local availability, more discomfort discussing prognosis, or feel it is important to address advanced directives in ILD clinic. Standardized measures to assess symptoms are lacking, and self-reported access to palliative care services were discordant with actual access. These results suggest barriers to palliative care in this population include perceived lack of access, lack of systematic tools to assess symptom burden, lack of established optimal timing of referral, and unclear need for specialized palliative care delivery. Also in this section is an original research manuscript describing the presence of circulating cells with loss of heterozygosity of the TSC2 gene in pulmonary Langerhans cell histiocytosis and lymphangiolyomyomatosis, a research letter describing an outbreak of silicosis in workers producing artificial stone skirting boards, and a statement from the Pulmonary Fibrosis Foundation Genetic Testing Workgroup about the role of genetic testing in pulmonary fibrosis. Our education and clinical practice content area is next. There is uncertainty about the risk of pulmonary function on cardiometabolic multimorbidity. In this issue, Lee and colleagues used data from over 357,000 individuals from the UK Biobank with no cardiometabolic diseases at baseline, and over 35,000 with one cardiometabolic disease, to determine whether pulmonary function has different risk magnitudes for cardiometabolic disease and multimorbidity. They found that FVC had the strongest associations with new-onset cardiometabolic disease and type 2 diabetes, with odds ratios of 0.525 for cardiometabolic disease in those in quartile 1 compared to quartile 4 of FVC. For those with one cardiometabolic disease at baseline, FVC was associated with cardiometabolic multimorbidity in patients with type 2 diabetes, hazard ratio of 0.727, patients with coronary heart disease, hazard ratio of 0.635, and in those with a stroke, hazard ratio of 0.783. Similar results were noted for the FEV1. These results suggest pulmonary function monitoring may assist with prevention and control of cardiometabolic disease and multimorbidity. Completing this section is an original research article assessing the outcomes of pre-hospital treatment with continuous positive airway pressure or positive expiratory pressure device use in individuals with swimming-induced pulmonary edema. Next is our pulmonary vascular content area. Obesity is associated with improved survival in patients with pulmonary arterial hypertension is currently unknown if obese patients derive a greater benefit from pulmonary hypertension therapies. In this issue, McCarthy and colleagues used individual participant data to perform a meta-analysis of phase two randomized placebo-controlled trials of treatment for pulmonary hypertension that were submitted for approval to the FDA 
from 2000 to 2015 to determine if BMI modifies treatment effectiveness in pulmonary hypertension. 5,440 participants from 17 trials were included. Overweight and obese individuals had lower baseline six-minute walk distances and were more likely to be functional class three or four. There was no significant effect modification of treatment response on six-minute walk distance, according to BMI. Higher BMI was not associated with WHO functional class at the end of follow-up. Higher BMI appeared to attenuate the treatment response for WHO functional class. These results suggest that higher BMI does not modify treatment response for change in six-minute walk distance, but it does attenuate the treatment response for WHO functional class. Further study of treatment heterogeneity and mechanisms may provide additional insight. Completing this section is a research letter that compares full dose to moderate dose systemic thrombolysis for the treatment of patients with acute pulmonary embolism. Our sleep medicine content area is next. In this issue, Lavender and colleagues share a chest review on the use of cannabinoids for insomnia and other sleep disorders. This narrative review highlights a discordance between the uptake of cannabinoid use and the actual evidence base for its use, while highlighting the strong rationale for continued investigation into the therapeutic potential of cannabinoids. The authors summarize the current evidence for the use of cannabinoids as a treatment for sleep disorders and provide an overview of endocannabinoid modulation of sleep-wake cycles, as well as the sleep-modulating effects of plant-derived cannabinoids. Practical considerations for clinicians regarding cannabinoid formulations, routes of administration, respiratory concerns, dosing, potential side effects, drug interactions, and effects relevant to driving, tolerance, and withdrawal are all discussed. Next is our thoracic oncology content area. Little is known about the rates of invasive procedures and associated complications after lung cancer screening in non-trial settings. In this issue, Nene and colleagues report findings from a retrospective cohort analysis of veterans who underwent lung cancer screening between 2013 and 2019 to determine the frequency of invasive procedures, complication rates, and factors associated with complications. Of over 82,000 veterans included in the cohort, 1,741, or 2.1%, underwent an invasive procedure after initial screening. Of those who underwent an invasive procedure, 8.7% experienced a major complication and 11.7% an intermediate complication. Those who underwent thoracic surgery, multiple non-surgical procedures, or had a diagnosis of dementia were more likely to have a complication. Procedures were performed less often than in the National Lung Screening Trial, but those who underwent a procedure had a greater risk of complications. These results may help optimize the identification of patients whose chance of benefit outweighs the complication risk from procedures performed for screen-detected findings. 
Also in this section is an original research article describing rapid FEV1 decline in lung cancer incidence in Korea and a systematic review and meta-analysis of frailty in patients with lung cancer. Finally, I encourage you to take a look at our Humanities and Chess Medicine section, where you will find an exhalations piece discussing the consequences of granting market exclusivity to unapproved drugs, with a voyage of vasopressin as an example, and a point-counterpoint debate about whether normal thermic regional perfusion violates the ethical principles underlying organ procurement. Our case series publications for the month provide some novel and educational cases to help improve your clinical skills. I hope you enjoy reading all of the high-quality content available in this month's issue of CHEST. As always, I'm grateful to the authors of this work, the reviewers who volunteered their time to improve the quality of these manuscripts, into our editorial board for guiding everything that we do. Until next month, I hope you enjoy the August issue. Thanks for listening to the Chess Journal's Editor Highlights podcast. You can find the articles mentioned in this podcast and more on chessjournal.org. And if you're looking for more context and commentary on articles in the current issue, please check out the original Chess Journal podcast, which features in-depth discussions with the authors themselves. We'll be back again with more Editor's Highlights next month.